0: What's up, everybody? This is Ryan here for the Scale Up Show. I have an awesome founder on with me today. I have Monica Suri, who is the CEO of Therma, combination of doing tech for good and the environment. So really awesome solutions, working with some massive companies. On top of it, I used to work for the White House National Economic Council during the Obama term. On top of it, too, is one of Harvard's top 100 alumni. That's Harvard uh, in terms of technology and recognized for what he's doing. So Love, love, love what he's doing in terms of integrating AI with the environment, as well as some work he just published in Forbes. So hope you check this out. I had a blast talking with Monic, and we will see you in the episode. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. What is happening, everybody? This is Ryan here for The Scale-Up Show. I have a very special guest with me today. I have Monik Suri. Monik is the founder and CEO of Therma, which is pretty cool because he is working on the intersection of the environment, tech, and saving our world when it comes to that, right? He's had clients like McDonald's, 7-Eleven, Marriott. Uh, at the same time, he used to be on the White House National Economic Council under the Obama uh um, I should say, uh, stint, if you will. And then at the same time, he was recognized as one of the top 100 Harvard alumni in terms of technology based on his work for Tech for Good. Monik, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man.
1: Great to be here, Ryan. I yeah.
0: love the energy. Fantastic, unique background. He's a, you're a recovering lawyer, I believe, is, is what you said as well, right? So, I mean... You, Guilty. You, you got everything, dude. You're doing policy. You know, you're a lawyer, you're doing stuff for the environment. So excited to cut this up. Very diverse background. Grew up on the West Coast, went to school on the East Coast. So yeah, we're 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 just crossing all sorts of paradigms here. So anyways, Monica, uh, why don't we get into it? Why don't we do a real quick revenue rundown before we get
1: into your backstory? So where are you guys at in the stage of the journey in terms of your ARR? Yeah, we're growing. We're moving up the curve kind of from 1 to 10 of ARR okay. and moving you know fast up that curve. Uh, so... Uh, we don't get into specific dollar numbers these days, but we're, we're kind of on the journey towards 10 and, and making our way there awesome. fairly quickly.
0: And then where, like, walk us through your solution just from like a, in a couple sentences, like what it does and who it serves.
1: Yeah. Uh, we uh, turn uh, air conditioners and refrigerators into uh, smart batteries. We turn them on and off and up and down using software and sensors. And we do that in ways that save businesses money and reduce emissions.
0: Oh, I love that, man. That's the uh, ROI, the ROI that we're talking about. You hit that and then you, you hit the uh, environment. So you, you hit the money and then you hug the tree at the same time, which was awesome, dude. So <laughs> that's the goal,
1: that's the goal. So
0: what's your primary go-to-market in terms of growing the company? Like, how do you do that?
1: Today, it's a pretty traditional B2B SaaS go-to-market. It's, uh, it's dr- generally driven by direct sales. So we use a kind of inside sales model, uh, we've got sales or biz dev reps, uh, and 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 the BDR team is basically generating interest, qualifying deals, uh, finding leads, scraping a bunch of databases, cold outbound, and 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 driving top of funnel. We've got an inside sales team that's doing webinars, demos, qualifying, negotiating, and then we've got a, a in some cases a field sales team doing outside sales, actually going out and meeting with clients and prospects and building relationships and. Building the Rolodex, uh, and then we're doing implementation. So we have physical hardware plus software. So we have installers uh, nationwide that go and install our technology and and actually wire up with sensors and and controls, smart thermostats, and then a customer success team that manages accounts, uh, drives retention, upsells, helps to ensure that uh, you know all the support issues get resolved, uh, and, and and helps to build the customer base. That's the model. Okay, I
0: love that, ma'am. So yeah, definitely very traditional. Do you focus more on the mid-market or would you say enterprise?
1: Generally focused on the mid-market. You know, young company, we're three years old, we're trying to grow fast, but, you know, coming into a very big space. And so we generally sell to companies with, you know, call it 300 locations or less. So uh, more kind of mid-market than an enterprise, although we have a couple of corporate accounts. Okay,
0: love that. And locations, obviously that's locations with, that are, have AC units in them, right? That's kind of like the core focus area.
1: Yeah. Any uh, business that has air conditioning and refrigeration. Oh, okay.
0: (sighs) Totally makes sense. Okay. So, and then are you bootstrapped or funded? That's one
1: thing we didn't really talk about. Uh, We are uh, venture backed. So we're, we've raised external capital. Okay.
0: Excellent. So, so walk us through how you got here, man. Like, like I was joking around a little bit, how you're West coast and East coast and, and, you know, Former lawyer that's now a, a tech founder. So walk us through like exactly what was the, uh, the Apple falling on your head moment where you're like, I got to do something about this. I got to create a company and uh, a tech company that's, that's helping the market. Because I, I love that you have a why attached to what you're doing. So we'd love to hear that, man.
1: Yeah. Uh, how much time do you have? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the episode is about 25 version. minutes. So I don't know, uh, just, maybe two minutes for this part. And then
1: we'll, we'll get on to some other stuff, right? <laughs> Totally. It's like, how do you tell somebody about your life and like how you got to where you are in 60 seconds or less? Uh, I think service was always important uh, to my family. My parents are both doctors. Uh, three of my grandparents are doctors or were doctors. Uh, and so a lot of medicine, a lot of healthcare in my family. My brother and my wife are both doctors. So I, I kind of grew up around uh, this idea that you have to do more than just uh, make money. You have to yeah. actually like help other people. Uh, and both my grandfathers were in the army back in India. So there was a kind of, um, a service culture in the family. Uh, I got interested in government in high school, went to Harvard for college, studied political science. Nine eleven was my first day of undergrad. Oh, wow. um, and so I studied international relations. Uh, that was kind of my major. And uh, went to work in finance, uh, got paid really well, learned a lot. I was at one of the biggest hedge funds in the world, a place called D.E. Shaw. I worked for the guy who ran the firm uh, and, and learned a lot. But I always had this interest in, you know, trying to do something beyond just... Um, you know, just kind of getting, you know, doing well financially. Uh, so I went back to law school after deferring for five years, which people thought was crazy because uh, I had a pretty good gig. And uh, coming out of law school, I thought, let me go into government, try and make some, you know, some impact in D.C. That was the original plan. Did that for a little over a year. It just got disillusioned. I think at the time, uh, there was no policy getting passed. It was kind of the beginning of the end of legislative compromise, uh, uh, 2011, 2012, And so no policy was getting passed and and Congress couldn't agree on really anything, including raising the debt ceiling, which was the first time in history that the Democrats and Republicans couldn't agree on that. And I I think I came away from that experience thinking, wow, I can't believe you have all these smart people and no policies are getting passed. How can I make an impact? Uh, Several colleagues uh, at the time were working in technology and saying, hey, there's a lot of opportunity. Tech doesn't require all this political compromise. You can actually build products and services that change lives and you can do it at scale, um, and I got really inspired by that idea of building tech for good and using products as a way to align and change society. Um, and uh, I got to see some of those stories firsthand just because of like, you know, classmates and, and colleagues. I was, I joined Facebook the day it started. I think I'm user 103. <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I saw the Facebook takeoff uh, literally from the first day. Wow. And uh, so other products like that, just things I got to see close hand. And uh, that's how I got into tech. Built a center with the deputy CTO when she left government, focused on tech for good. That led me to climate and sustainability and safety as problem areas. And because I grew up in an ag town, uh, it all comes full circle, as my dad likes to say. I was visiting my parents, talking about uh, problems with some family friends who were in the food industry, challenges they were facing. Turns out that the food industry is massive and uh, a lot of the uh, the problems in the food supply are basically just people using pen and paper and analog, you know, legacy tools. And I couldn't believe that. I was just struck, you know, trillion dollar industry, people are still using pen and paper. How is that? And uh, so I thought, okay, maybe I can work on this area to improve uh, safety, sustainability, farm to fork. That's how I got into the space, started a company uh, called Coinspect. And then that led to temperature and learning about the problems around temperature and how how much uh, climate impact and how much business impact they have. And that led me to start Therma in 2020. Okay.
0: Okay. So I want you, I love your story first of all. Right. And like, I think that was more than two minutes, Ryan. So sorry for the, it was good, uh, man. It was engaging. You know, like some people, the reason why I put the two minute buffer, first of all, just to tell you this, nobody ever says it in two minutes, just so you know, it's like, it's like when I say, tell me about your solution in like two sentences what that does is that breaks it down, no, it, it breaks it down from like <laughs> 10 paragraphs, to 17 two paragraphs, sentences, right? That's right. So That's I'm just right. trying to frame this is hard. Yeah. I'm just trying to frame people in hard. a little bit. Right. Cause otherwise shit gets out of hand, Whoa. right? It gets crazy. Um, totally. So love your script. I talk a lot too. What's that? Yeah. I talk a lot. Oh, you're, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine, man. You list some of the other episodes, man. You're doing good. You're doing good. So, <laughs> um, so here's what I would say. Like I, I, well, first of all, user 103 at Facebook, like, uh, did, did Mark Zuckerberg personally recruit you to be on the platform or how the hell did that happen? That's very random.
1: It is random, but you know, I was, uh, you know, I was in college at the time and I'd rode crew, uh, with, uh, a few of the guys who ended up starting, uh, the project. The twins? Mark. I didn't know Mark. The, the, uh, yeah. The, oh, you're in crew with the Tyler twins. Tyler. twins? <laughs> were they that beastly in,
0: uh, in person too? Like
1: they looked like they were, they were like
0: huge, huge monsters based on the movie.
1: Uh never watched the film. They're uh you know, they they're they're big guys. They were in the I was lightweight, they were heavyweights. But uh Sam lesson and Eduardo Savern and I were on the freshman lightweight crew team together. So I knew Sam and Eduardo. Okay. Um, yeah. That's craziness, man. Um do you still keep in touch with those guys at all? Uh Sam I see occasionally. He lives in San Francisco. Uh, uh Eduardo uh you know, I last saw him at uh Stanford business school, giving a talk and I was giving a talk. That's no, cool. We haven't kept. Yeah. That's kind of funny, man. Okay. So we, we don't need they've, to, they moved on to big things. <laughs> they, they're doing big things with their yeah. lives. Facebook did quite well for them. I think. Yeah. I
0: think they did. Okay. I think they did. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, well, I, I would think you have some special cheat code cause you're user 103 or whatever, but anyway, th- that's, that's for another discussion, right? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> All right, man. So, so let's get into uh, the environment factor. Cause real, real curious on that. And, um, yeah love the factor that you're trying to do tech for good versus just, yeah I don't know, create another mousetrap, right. Or a better mousetrap. So, so in light of that with, with like AC and cooling and like business you mentioned has a massive impact in the environment. Can you break us down with just like high level, right. Executive summary version. We don't need to get super in the weeds on it, but like what's happening in, in, in the size of the problem with this and, and that'll help, understand your solution a little bit better too, in terms of how you're solving it.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a big problem. It's a problem a lot of people don't talk about. I think most people know know, the climate is warming up. I think that's pretty well accepted and understood at this point in 23. Um, Not everywhere, but generally people kind of accept at that point. The issue is kind of what's causing all this warming. Turns out that one of the biggest sources of warming is cooling, ironically. Mm -hmm. So refrigeration, air conditioning, cooling... Uh, account for almost 10% of global warming. Uh, and and they do that uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, there's a lot of energy that goes into cooling stuff. And uh, that energy is not particularly clean. Most of the existing energy supply still uses fossil fuels. So you're, um, you're using a lot of energy to provide cooling to billions of people around the world. Second, there's a huge amount of waste and loss. So, um, you know, I think Boston Zilding Group (BCG) had a report a few years ago about the food waste problem, and they described it as, uh, you know, the 1.6 trillion dollar, uh, you know, a problem. Wow. And uh, you know, if food waste were a country, it would be like the fourth largest emitter. It's it's just a massive source of, of, of waste, and a third of all food that gets grown gets thrown out. A third, uh, and you know, about 10% of that is because of cooling and and poor cold chain, poor refrigeration. So it's a big number. Even if you take 10% of $1.6 trillion, that's $160 billion a year wasted. Um, and there's a huge amount of emissions associated with that because you have to spend a lot of energy and effort to get that product down to the restaurant or the cafeteria or the plate. Uh, and then third, you got uh, uh, the third source of uh, warming is uh, refrigerants. These are the chemicals that go into refrigeration and air conditioning. They're the special class of chemicals that enable cooling to work. Hmm. But they actually cause uh, a very significant amount of warming. They're ultra warming. They're like uh, 1,000 to 11,000 times more warming than CO2e, which is pretty crazy. And so they get released during the life cycle of air conditioners and refrigerators. And so all three, energy consumption, product waste, and refrigerants cause a ton of warming. And ironically, as the planet warms, we need more cooling. So there's this vicious feedback loop to the whole thing.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay, so how do we solve it? (laughs) <laughs> Lots of things can be done. Uh, uh, many, many things. Well, I think firstly, we have to accept that people want cooling. Uh, as the world develops and as economies around the world are industrializing and developing, millions of people want refrigeration and air conditioning that didn't have them last year or the year prior. And the the that's kind of the, one of the big things here is cooling is not just a big source of warming and waste. It's a growing source of warming and waste because a vast part of the world doesn't have that much refrigeration or air conditioning today, and that's obviously you know got to change. That's not good for humans. Uh, but to to make this uh, to square this circle, we've got to find ways to make cooling more uh, efficient and sustainable. And so there's a couple of things you can do. First, you can actually reduce how much electricity and energy they use. Well, uh, if you think about it a little bit, like um, turning the lights off when no one's in the building at night. It's a little bit like that. If you can turn the air conditioning or the refrigeration down when no one's using those or when occupancy is low, that's one way to reduce the actual uh, footprint. Another is to use that power at the right times of day. It doesn't have to be used necessarily exactly when everyone Mm -hmm. else is using electricity. You can move it around to when no one is using it or when, say, people are sleeping. That distributes the load for the grid, the electricity grid, and that can be a way to reduce emissions because when the grid gets overloaded, they have to turn on backup power plants that are super dirty and super expensive. Mm. Uh, and then we can also use software and and sensors and other technologies to prevent loss by catching issues early and often. And that can reduce food loss and food waste and even refrigerant leaks. Uh, so lots of things can be done to reduce energy consumption and food waste and, of course, refrigerant leaks. But uh, it requires a bunch of different technologies and some behavior change.
0: So then you're attacking it from... Those areas, right, in terms of like sensors and monitoring to do effectively all those areas?
1: We're working on a couple of those areas. We're not doing everything. So we are using sensors to track uh, the temperature and humidity to catch issues early and often. That prevents loss and reduces refrigerant leaks. We're also using uh, intelligence, data science, uh, to turn air conditioners and refrigerators on and off and up and down dynamically when occupancy is low or when energy prices are high or both. So those are the things that Therma specifically is doing. Uh, we're not building cleaner uh, refrigerants. There's a whole set of companies that are working on more energy efficient or, or lower warming mm-hmm. uh, refrigerants. There's a whole set of companies working on making air conditioners more efficient using, say, heat pumps. Uh, and this companies working on insulation, for example. So lots of things we aren't doing to make cooling more sustainable, but, but we're focused on the energy and the monitoring side.
0: How did you get into this then? Like, I know we talked a little bit about like how you conceptually got into the company, but like this specific exact area, like, and be competent yeah. enough to create a company, get funding rounds around it. We'd, we'd just love to hear that. Cause it's, it sounds like a complete, now granted you grew up in an egg town. So I imagine there's some background in terms of, but I, I yeah, break it down for me, man. <laughs>
1: I think it's one of those uh, life makes sense in the rear view mirror kind of, uh, you know, you kind of look back and it all makes sense. Even though when you're driving on the road, you don't necessarily know where the turns are taking you. Um, I think that the, um, the work uh, that I did right after the, the, the short stint I had in the White House uh, was focused on building tech for good. And that's when I got excited about and interested in using technologies to solve big public problems. Mm. Uh, I started this center as a co-founder called the GovLab at NYU and MIT uh, and so I learned about and got to see a lot of technologies uh, being developed, you know, and just great people coming through that center, you know, top uh, academics and top technologists from places like Google and Facebook and Amazon and, you know, other big uh, tech platforms. They were just interested in seeing if there were ways to bring, bring those technologies into the public area. Uh, when I got into entrepreneurship, it was a very humbling transition. I started a company uh, bootstrapped, focused on safety and sustainability. And the original problem I got interested in was replacing pen and paper with mobile apps. That was 2015, uh, Coinspect. And that was really uh, very personal. I was interested in the problem area around safety and sustainability. I've been working on that in this do tank, so to speak. Uh, and I realized, uh, you know, you got to pick a problem. If you want to start a company, you got to pick one problem and try and solve it. And I was trying to figure out which problem to work on because safety and sustainability are pretty large. Mm -hmm. It just so happened that I was visiting my folks uh, back in, in Fresno in the Central Valley. And I was talking to some family friends who work in the food supply, either the growers or distributors. And they were talking about how they're just using a ton of paper and pen to manage workflows and just a lot of inefficiency in that. And I thought, wow, what if we could just automate that and make it more digitized? That's how I got into the space around temperature and, uh, and and workflow management for the food industry. It was like, okay, maybe we can build software for that. Doing that for a few years, I discovered that most of what people were checking was the temperature of the product. That was the big source of what they needed to check four to eight times a day. And uh, you know, we, we discovered, myself and a couple of my colleagues, we were solving the right problem the wrong way. We were scaling our mobile app at the time, Collaborate Inspector, Co-Inspect. We were scaling it to about 5,000 locations, but sales cycles were hard and slow, Adoption took forever and and was a lot of, there was a lot of friction in the process. And what we discovered was we were basically replacing a manual process on a paper clipboard with a manual process on a digital clipboard. Uh, you know people still have to do this four to eight times a day just on a mobile app, on a tablet or a smartphone. That isn't that much better. And that's what led me to start thinking about sensors and automation. Uh, maybe we could just replace the human entirely using a sensor so they don't have to check this stuff four to eight times a day. And that's what led to Therma in 2020. It was kind of this idea that what if we could automate and and make the problem, you know, uh, solve it more effectively. Mm. That turned out to be a much better way of solving the problem. And the company, uh, you know, I think uh, so took off as a result.
0: That bootstrap company, like, what was that? Like, and I I mean, you didn't explicitly say this, but it sounds like you said you're solving the, the right problem in the wrong way. Like, yep it was there a lot of struggle there? It sounded like if you're saying there's a lot of friction and it was hard, like what happened there exactly?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think in, uh, so many lessons learned, you know, like failure is your best teacher. Uh, I think that, uh, one of the biggest lessons I took away, uh, was, you know, uh, you really have to listen to your user and your customer. You really have to listen and not just to what they're saying, but, to what they're doing, mm-hmm. you have to actually follow pretty closely uh, what what the user and the customer are telling you. Um, and it's not always what they're saying to you. So with that company, I think I hit forty states, maybe over forty states selling a uh, small team, you know, founder led selling, I was growing the revenue base. Almost everywhere I went, business leaders and 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 prospects were saying, Love your product. Love the idea. Yeah, we should definitely replace paper with 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 mobile apps. This is great. We totally want to adopt it. Good, you know, nice work. Uh, good for society. Good for food safety. Good for compliance. But then adoption took forever, and there was a lot of issues with um, you know uh, rolling out with with teams complaining and and users complaining. What we didn't realize at the time, but what we realized in hindsight, is that we were actually making work harder for these companies. We were making it harder for users. Because basically what we had done was we had taken a workflow that was done on a piece of paper Mm -hmm. and put it on a mobile app. And with our mobile app, we had timestamps, geolocation, and photo requirements. So you absolutely had to do this work at exactly the right time of day, in exactly the right way, and confirm you did it with a photo. For 50 years, most businesses had allowed teams to do this work whenever they had time. And again, with a piece of paper, There's no way to know whether it was done or when it was done. You could just mark everything as fine and good all day, all week. No way to know. We made that impossible to do. We required ultra high validation of the work, which of course is better for safety and better for compliance. But for the user, it actually creates a lot of work every day. And for the business owner or the business executive, what they want at the end of the day is completed logs that show everything is fine. They can't have logs that showed that work wasn't done, or the task wasn't fully completed, or there were issues. So no one ever said to me anywhere in the country, even once, "Oh, you're making our life harder," or "Oh, this is bad for our, you know, our legal um, compliance record keeping." But what it turned out was we were actually making their work harder and making both the users' lives more difficult and the business owner or executives' lives harder. And so the growth was extremely slow and just took you know, it took forever. And that was a lesson in, it was really humbling. The idealist in me, I kind of got into tech as an idealist, you know, young kid right out of law school thinking, okay, let's build tech for good. I think a friend of mine who was a very successful entrepreneur, you know, um, you know, really, really successful, you know, human, he had said to me, you know, a decade ago, if you want to change the world, you have to first accept it. And I didn't understand what he meant. I really didn't know what he meant at the time. And after this experience, I kind of came to appreciate his point, which is you can't just change human behavior to make people do what you think is the right thing. You have to accept that incentives are what they are and people are doing things for a certain reason. Either they're busy or there's other competing priorities. With Coinspect, we were trying to make people do the right thing. With Therma, we said, hey, we're just going to take this work off your plate. We're going to have a sensor do it for you. That product has been growing 3X. We've gone from a couple of sensors to over 25,000, from a couple of customers to over 1,400 in three years, despite the pandemic just a way better way of solving the problem. It also benefits society. It also reduces emissions and improves safety, but it does it in a way that helps and and makes the work easier for the user and the business owner. So that in a nutshell or a big nutshell is kind of four years of my life. Did you ever almost quit? Every day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, during the hard part, right? Were Were
0: there times where you're like, man, this sucks or like... Well, sure. There are times where you said it sucked, but like almost parts where you're just like, maybe this is just not the right thing.
1: Definitely, there were many times where I thought about throwing in the towel. Uh, I I think of myself as someone who doesn't like to quit, like, and I I try to kind of make it happen. But uh, bootstrapping a business is really hard, uh, and I think I didn't appreciate going from extremely well resourced environments uh, where you know people will take your meetings and take your calls. Uh, I'd worked at D.E. Shaw, which is a major investment firm, and I worked at the White House and, you know, I'd gone to Harvard (laughs) a couple of times. Generally, in those kinds of places, everyone takes your calls and takes your meetings. Then I started a company with no capital, no team, no revenue, no product. It was much harder to get people to take uh, take me seriously. And that was very humbling. Uh, I think I grew as a result. Um, I feel like it was worth it. But... um, yeah. So many rejections, you know, when I started raising capital, I'd never raised a dollar in my life. Like literally I'd run for a student body, you know, office in high school and my parents had like paid for the campaign. <laughs> like I'd never raised a dollar uh, for anything except like Boy Scouts in fifth grade. And um, you know, now we raise, you know, 35 million or a little bit you know, well, what's, more. Yeah, but, you so know, what's
0: the one thing like, even though you, you, you're self-proclaimed, you know, like determined or stubborn in terms of making it happen, like, if you could point to one thing that helped you push through that time, is there anything now, knowing what you know now uh, that, you know, you could either point to, or if you had to do it again, would say, Hey, like do this to your younger self, right? Give yourself younger, younger self advice.
1: (laughs) How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Many things, many things. I think, uh, I mean, so many things. I think the, to put it in short terms, I think, uh, Firstly, believing in oneself, you know, that's a really hard thing to internalize. You know, people tell you, believe in yourself, you know, and you see it on slogans and and t-shirts and, you know, it's, it's all over. But I think the idea that you can actually, uh, you can create the future, that the future isn't fixed, that you actually have an ability to shape it. That was something I didn't appreciate at 30. And now at 40, I've come to appreciate, like you can actually create the future. I mean, obviously- We're only one, each of us is only one person. It's a big world. A lot of things are outside our control. But I think there is a lot that's in our control. And if you stick with something and try and work on it and really kind of improve yourself and and the people around you, you know, often good things happen. That kind of, you know, uh, that kind of belief is is, is really powerful. And I think the the corollary to that is do it for some reason beyond yourself. Like if you just do it for your own ego – that's a shallow um, reservoir of, of, of you know, inspiration. It doesn't, you know, the water runs dry, so to speak, from that well. But if you have some higher purpose, whatever that is, it doesn't have to be spiritual, um, something that's greater than you, I think it gives a lot of lasting power to, to these kinds of projects. It makes it worthwhile to wake up, even when you're going to get a bunch of, you know, um, hard things happen, a bunch of rejection, a bunch of issues to react to. Uh, that certainly for me... Uh, has, has helped. Having a sense of purpose that's beyond just like, oh, I want to get into the paper tomorrow or I want to get you know another buck in the bank. Uh, those things have helped. And then having great people around you is the last thing. Love I love that, able. man.
0: That's a writer downer. If you're listening to this, that's when you want to write down, put it on the wall. And then when you're having those hard days as you're trying to get through this, read that. So... Uh, so we're almost up on time, so we'll round it out two quick two quick questions that I have. The first one, you're doing some work, and you know I know you're releasing or by the time this is published, I released an article on AI and and climate. Can you give us a, a real quick rundown on what that is and what's what's it about? And then we'll throw that in the show notes if you want to check it out because i'm I'm excited to to look through it.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, you know, the kind of multimedia kind of uh, output here i I write for Forbes on the side. Oh, uh, I've nice. got a piece coming out. Uh, on uh, the, the role uh, of AI in climate innovation. So I've been learning more about AI the last couple of years. Uh, last month, I was at TED AI in San Francisco, the kind of uh, annual TED conference. This is their first time doing it on AI. So I was there for a day and a half, just taking in all these interesting ideas uh, at the forefront of where AI is going and the things it can do already and so the piece uh, that's coming out in the next uh, few days is really just on some of the obvious areas that AI can be used uh, or deployed to make, you know, uh, climate innovation more effective. And so I just highlighted a few of those. Uh, don't want to bore people here, but I can give you kind of the, the teaser. Yeah, love it, man. Anything that you're doing as a climate entrepreneur or climate innovator, consider using AI for whether it's optimizing energy consumption, predicting peak load, adjusting energy use, whether it's thinking about forecasting uh, weather or usage or utilization, uh, whether it's uh, sequestration and storage. There's opportunities in placement of sites, monitoring leaks, catching uh, issues in the workflow. And then of course like lots of environmental monitoring, whether it's uh, you know using satellites to monitor deforestation and illegal logging or using it to monitor illegal fishing or using sensors and automation to track recycling turns out you can identify and sort waste into different buckets using AI more effectively than, than, than not so I guess the broad theme is every technology stack that's being used to improve uh, or to tackle climate change. Can be augmented with AI in one or multiple ways. Certainly, that's my belief, uh, and we're just getting started. So, love it, man. There, there you go.
0: Yeah, my, my there's popcorn going around in my brain right now with all those ideas you dropped. So, uh, so good stuff. Excited to check that out, and then we'll, we'll put that in the show notes if you want to check that out. That's awesome. That, and I'm kind of jealous. I wish I would have known about that TED AI event. I would have went to that. That's uh, that's right in my wheelhouse. I would have nerded out on that. So. Um, so we'll put that in the show notes. And then last but not least, I always like to ask folks in this question at the end, like, you know, you're obviously heading in the direct, right direction. You've done amazing work. Like what's the single biggest challenge you're running into right now at the stage of the business or in terms of
1: growing? So many. Uh, <laughs> single biggest challenge. I think, you know, as focus and execution kind of closely related, but focus kind of just keeping one's eye on the ball and so many opportunities to kind of add too much onto one's plate. And, and I think just trying to remind myself and our team you know, what are the things we're trying to achieve this week, this month, this quarter, Uh, put one foot in front of the next, just kind of execute, execute. And, uh, and that requires saying no to a lot of things, uh, which, which, you know, I think is a big part of, uh, of growth. It's hard for me.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's hard for everybody, man. So where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Therma? And then we'll wrap things up.
1: Appreciate everyone taking the time. If you're interested in learning more, uh, definitely I'd love to connect. Monik at hellotherma.com. M-A-N-I-K at hellotherma.com. I'm on LinkedIn and social. We're Hello Therma uh, on Twitter and, or X, I should say. And I uh, know, uh, hard to say that even, but uh, uh, times change. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, it was a blast having me on the show.
0: Love what you're doing and excited to check out that article. So thanks for being on. Pleasure. And we will see you all on the next episode. Thank you for checking out The Scale-Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering